Welcome to Beyond the Script, a podcast where we discuss trending and innovative topics in the world of primary care and talk about new products and services that are driving change in the healthcare industry. Here are your hosts, Dr. Joel Besmer and Ryan Besmer. Welcome to the Beyond the Script podcast. My name is Ryan Besmer, and I am proud to co-host this inaugural episode of our podcast with my father, Dr. Joel Besmer. And uh, Dad, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here with uh, the title of the of the podcast. We we chose Beyond the Script, and I know I had told you this a couple of weeks ago when we announced we were going to start this, but I haven't talked to you about it before. How do you think Beyond the Script? How does that title? fit into not only the way that you practice medicine, but the way that you think that we can uh, promote uh, uh, our, our vision of healthcare? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, from a standpoint of thinking about uh, what we do today through Members MD and Strata Healthcare, they really are beyond things that are offered inside the normal tract of medicine. You've often heard me say, I failed out of primary care meaning that I just did not like practicing in the form of somebody else telling me how much time I had with the patient, those times not being enough for me to feel comfortable that I was able to provide the education and the care that was required inside the four walls of that room. And then also the fact that it almost felt limited to the four walls of the room. Uh, what we're doing today through Members MD and Strata Healthcare are very different than that, and they're clearly beyond what is otherwise delivered in routine primary care. Um, uh, one of the best examples of that, Ryan, I think is COVID. You know, when COVID came around, there was this long pause in primary care. People couldn't, in the medicine side of this, figure out how to deliver care when all of a sudden the patient couldn't be in front of them, or as I like to commonly say, practicing ass and seat medicine. Um, so in the concierge world, in the direct primary care world, that's actually the way we deliver care quite frequently. Oftentimes care is delivered between four walls simply because it allowed somebody to bill somebody else for that care. Inside that concierge healthcare world, inside the direct primary care world, that care happens between the four walls when it's important we're in front of each other and we're seeing each other because there's something I need to do to you, for you, or with you that strictly involves that room. Otherwise, a majority of our interactions in care occur on a HIPAA-compliant app that allows us to communicate back and forth or simply just over the phone when you call with, this is what's going on in my life right now and I need help. So I do see it as beyond what is happening right now in primary care. Let's build on that a little bit. So talk about in your specifically your primary care practice, and we'll well, future episodes, we'll, we'll dig more into strata and we'll dig into exactly what you do in concierge. But from a high level, can you talk about your limited patient panel, the time you spend with patients, and how that's different from the medicine that most people receive today in primary care? Sure. Um, I'm going to go do an annual exam on a patient here in a few minutes. And uh, Scott will come in this morning. Um, my nurse, Dave, will spend probably 15 to 20 minutes with him updating his health over this past year, what things might be new and different. And then we will go in and spend probably about an hour and a half together. You know, a typical annual exam today in routine primary care is going to be 15 to 20 minutes. And for us, it takes longer than that. There's so much education to provide. There's so much information to share back and forth. So at the end of this visit today, we can do what I like to think of as almost like a contract. 
It is where we sit together at the end of the visit and decide, okay, well, what's in this patient's best interest for their health care over the next year? And we try to document that out in a way that there's no qualms when we get together the next year. What were our goals and have we accomplished them? And what I really like about that is then in our routine visits throughout the year, and it might be that somebody calls with just a toothache or, gosh, my arm is bothering me, but it allows me to take a minute to say, hey, what were we working on this year? What are we trying to get better at? What are we trying to improve? And to even have a few minutes to say, hey, well, where are you at with that today? Um, so it really is different. I mean, there are so many more touch points throughout the year, and there's so much more that happens in that time that I think is more robust and allows us to do a much better job at developing a plan for the patient. So I've seen you do education a lot, and I know education is a big part of what you do with your patients, and I've seen you do it in front of crowds of thousands of people where you talk about uh, uh, various topics that you that you uh, teach your patients. And One question you always ask people is, what's the largest organ in your body? And I'm going to let you answer it here for everyone. Uh, But I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about uh, your approach to this. So, so. So, Dad, what is uh, the largest organ in your body? Well, before I just give it away, I, I, I want to give a little background on that. It, it also leads into the story of, you know, often in medicine, what we think we understand isn't truly necessarily how the human body works, or we will add better understanding to it and understand it wasn't as simple as we thought it was. So the classic example for that with the endothelium the largest organ in your body. There you go. Is that we would have been taught in medical school in my time that the largest organ in your body was your skin, which makes sense. There's a lot of surface area there to cover. But if you start to think about the absorptive power of the small bowel, if you start to think about that inside lining of every artery in your body called the endothelium, then that truly is the largest organ in your body. Now, why is it critical that we start to understand and adapt to that? And it is because that is our organ that is insulted by hypertension. That's our organ that's insulted by diabetes. That's our organ that's insulted by inflammation. And so by better understanding that, we can better understand how to keep that organ healthy, how to prevent strokes, heart attacks, chronic renal disease, many of those things I don't think of as separate entities. I think of them as endothelial diseases. So with your patients in your practice, what type of assessments do you do to look at the the health of their endothelium? Oh, that's a great question. So there are a number of different ways we get at it. Oftentimes, at those first visits, it's as simple as looking at where, where does your blood pressure run and where has it run in the past? Are you taking medications for that and thinking about uh, what's manipulating it, um, but also what are your cholesterol numbers? Do we want to fractionate those cholesterol numbers to better understand them with a Boston heart? And then the other thing is this thing called an HSCRP, high-sensitive C-reactive protein. And you know when you come in for your blood draws uh, with members MD, one of the things I always try to say is I-, I want you to feel like you've been doing a good job, that this is for us to see how healthy are you. And so now if you think about that high-sensitive C-reactive protein, it really tells us how pissed off is your endothelium at the things you've been doing in life, but also critically, at the genes your mother and father gave you. 
So there are things we can do to then try and help it. But in the beginning, it's really to try and gain a better understanding of what is your inflammatory state like? How tight are those endothelial cell gaps? How difficult is it going to be for LDL molecules to get in between those endothelial cells and build and create problems inside your blood vessels? What type of advice do you give maybe younger, healthier patients? Uh, They don't have problems with their endothelium, but they want practice prevention. What type of advice do you give them? What what practices can they make a part of their daily life to make sure that that maintains, uh, they maintain health in their endothelial cells? Well, so oftentimes it's, it's understanding why we're telling them what to do, right? In, in other words, we're all, as soon as we leave the four walls and go out and live life, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to choose to do things that we know aren't always in our best uh, interest as far as our healthcare. What I want to try and make sure, even in that healthier individual, is they understand why their endothelium is the way it is today. What is it they've been doing in their health that's positive? And still yet, maybe what is it doing in their health that's been negative? So that when they leave those four walls, they have a much better idea of when they're making mistakes that they are making a mistake. When they're doing those things that are really positive for their health, what is it that they're doing? And then sometimes it's it's just that simple nuance of adding something a little different, right? Trying to make sure they understand some of those things that they can do that help them get addicted to the positive things in life, be it gratitude or be it what I call a balls-out workout at least once a week to try and make sure you're changing that endorphin feed so that you do a better job addicting yourself to exercise. Do um, do you ever recommend that patients take any type of supplements or medication around their endothelial health that would help them? Let's say they, 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 they're not in a great state of health there. They haven't practiced prevention, but they need to do something to change their course. What type of supplements or medication typically or, or courses are you recommending for people? So those, those do really become personal. Now, you, you could talk routinely from a standpoint of any patient with a slightly elevated HSCRP, what things might you think about doing to help? In the beginning, it's a better understanding. Could it be because of their dental health? Could it be because they have actually an underlying inflammatory process? So it's sorting that out. But otherwise, in general, if we think this is more genetically driven, then it's things like turmeric. It's things like maybe a baby aspirin. It might even be a statin medication. We know that one of the ways statins help us decrease our risk of vascular disease is actually by decreasing our inflammatory state. So there could be a number of different recommendations, but those would be three routine things that you might hear from me. I kind of want to change course a little bit here. Uh, and and on this podcast, our goal is that we're going to talk normally about one, maybe two different health topics Uh, And today, being our first episode, we're going to throw a couple things at you, the endothelial being one. And before we close up today, I want to ask you about something that's somewhat time-pressing that we're reading about on the news being uh, May of 2022 is monkeypox. And the first time I heard about it, I know I kind of chuckled because it just sounds like a weird, funky name for a (laughs) disease. Um, But I, I, I would like you to just talk about uh, what's your perspective on monkeypox and how should people in their everyday lives be approaching the disease? Well, it's funny. The, the first time I heard about it, it was on a national news. And uh, the newscaster wanna, you know, has to put the tease out there of, is this our next pandemic? So I just want everybody listening to relax. I promise. 
This is not our next pandemic. So monkeypox are actually, unlike what we've been dealing with COVID-19, monkeypox is pretty difficult to spread. It takes uh, some significant skin-to-skin contact. You're not going to get monkeypox by being at the airport and somebody else having monkeypox and you being on the same flight, unless you're pretty much just rubbing up against them. So this is often something that's transported through frictional contact with skin, if that's stated commonly and loudly enough. Well, we may have some follow-up questions on that in future episodes, depending on what the news gives us and what questions people have. Uh, But that's all we've got today. So if anyone listening, I would encourage you to uh, give us a follower, like, or comment wherever you're listening to this. If there's something you'd like us to talk about or you have a question for Dr. Bessmer, we will make sure to address those in future episodes. Dad, thank you for your time. Hey, always great to be with you. Thanks, everybody. If you liked our show today, we'd love for you to subscribe to Beyond the Script on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. Thank you for listening.